welcome to this week's episode of Ghost Emoji. I'm Becca. I'm Taylor. And we're going to talk about the omen today. Yeah, not just the omen, the curse of the omen. The curse of the omen. The curse of the omen. <laughs> the, uh, the, the critically acclaimed movie film, The Omen. Gather round Pappy's legs and hear a tale of spooky stuff i don't know where i'm going with it it's it is very spooky sort of i don't know i always thought things like this are interesting because i don't know how common it is for stuff to go wrong on movie sets but i feel like whenever it's a scary movie people spend a lot more time focusing on it yeah especially when it's these these devil movies these satan films Apparently, there was a lot of stuff that surrounded um, The Exorcist, too. Ryan's been listening to a podcast about it. Mm-hmm. The Exorcist had stuff. Poltergeist had yeah. a bunch of stuff. When I when I wanted to do this topic, there was a veritable cornucopia, a big buffet of cursed movie sets. Mm. Delicious. <laughs> We picked The Omen for this week. I'm sure we could cover the other ones some other time, because like I said, there's there's no shortage of them. There's a lot. Lots. But this week's The Curse of the Omen, which there was like a better name for it. I was like, Cursed Films, The Omen. But everywhere I looked it up, it was just called The Curse of the Omen. It's not the title that matters. It's the meat of the story. Yeah, get in this meat. Get Dig in. All up on this meat. I'm hungry. Om nom. <sighs> Did you not eat lunch yet? Um, I had some cornbread. So, no. <laughs> That's the answer is no. <laughs> food. I just didn't have no meat or veggies. I ate a cookie also and some water. Very balanced diet. I know. Perfect. I went to the grocery store. I just haven't, haven't cooked up any of the food I brought home yet. Going to the grocery store on a Sunday? Bad idea. Ooh, it feels bad. Why? Why are they all out there? What is going on? I don't know. I thought more people would be at church, but no. Apparently, they're all at the grocery store that I'm at. Heathens. I went yesterday morning after my therapy session got canceled. I was like, I'm just going to go to the grocery store. And it was still fairly busy, but not as busy as I thought it would be. You like grocery shopping, so that's like therapy in and of itself. Yeah, but not on the weekends. I like (laughs) to go in the, the dead of the day on like a Tuesday when there's no one there and it's just me. I like to go late at night. That's more creepy. I love it. That, I mean, you're just embracing your your own, like, goth eccentricities. Baby aesthetic, yeah. Baby goth aesthetic. Mmm. Just can't sleep. Gotta, gotta eat. Gotta do those late night sh- shop shopping shenanigans. Open the coffin. It's time to go grocery shopping. <laughs> I'm hungry. Okay. So... When they started kind of coming up with the idea for it, it was sort of not in the middle. I want to say it was later in the the parade of devil, demon-centric horror movies that, like, had suddenly become kind of cool. Like, Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, um, had all actually gotten, like, a lot of critical attention, which... I love a good horror movie, but there are a lot of bad ones, and I feel like a lot of people maybe don't always give them the same, like, critical levity as they Mm -hmm. do other movies. But after these, and people started really looking at them, and they started getting nominated for award shows, this dude named Robert Munger had an idea about cool, cool movie. I feel like everyone's got that. That's not true. I don't have that. 
Do you have any great ideas for a good movie? No, I've got like scenes that I'm like, oh, that would feel really like cool to see or like this music would go really well with like a scene like this, but nothing that's like strong enough where I'm like, I could make a movie out of this. It's more like I want to make a really short music video. I would watch your music video. Is there kissing? Of course there's kissing. (laughs) There's always kissing. Is it scary kissing? Scary kissing? Yeah, I want like a horror kissing. Mm, Probably not. Fine. Maybe some horror and then kissing and then more horror. Okay, I'll settle for that. But Robert Munger would not settle for just kissing. Actually, I don't think there's any kissing in this movie. Yeah, I don't think there is either. I was about to say, I'm pretty sure there's no kissing. Uh, I know. I should have rewatched it before doing this, but I actually haven't seen it in a year or so. So, from what I can remember, zero kissing. So, no kisses on the on the kiss meter. So, this is a dude who, from what I could find, didn't actually have, like, any real experience in film. And I kept reading everywhere that he was, like, a very devout Christian. But then in a short interview that I watched him in, he was like, I'm a Christian, but I don't really believe in the devil. Which, you know, you can kind of pick what you want to believe in within, like, your chosen religion. But I thought that the devil was, like, a pretty solid part of Christianity. Like, a pretty integral (laughs) uh, part of it. But he was like, no, I don't. But he was still interested in it. Like, I guess he liked the idea of it. And so he was like, I want to make a movie about the child Antichrist. Like, the Antichrist before he's all grown up. And he got these two dudes, uh, producers, Harvey Bernhard and Mace Neufeld. And they also thought it was a good idea, given the popularity of Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist and everything. And so Munger was kind of a, a consultant but he also would call in other theologians to talk to and kind of, I guess, help to get all the iconography and everything right, just since the Omen does deal with a lot of, like, religious imagery. Um, and the theologian that he talked to was like, if you don't believe in him now, that by the time you finish filming this, you will believe in the devil, which could be apocryphal. It didn't give any names or anything. But uh, after that, Munger called a meeting with Bernhard and was like, maybe we shouldn't make this and kind of started to get nervous. And um, he's quoted as saying, the devil's greatest single weapon is to be invisible and you're going to take off his cloak of invisibility to millions of people. I mean, yeah, maybe, but again, he's sort of a big deal in Christianity, so it's not like nobody knew who he was. Well, that, I don't know. I mean... Like, honestly, the devil is, like, one of the more interesting, like, the whole idea of, you know, him being a fallen angel and all that stuff is one of the more interesting parts of Christianity. And, I mean, when I was on my journey to becoming a agnostic, I know that the first thing that I was like, I don't feel like this is real, was hell. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the devil, but I was like, I just don't think hell's real. Like, it seems just like a thing for people to be like, if you're bad, this is where you go. Well, and I was thinking about it. Are the devil and the Antichrist the same thing? Like, if you're making a movie about the Antichrist, the Antichrist isn't actually Satan, right? Uh, I don't think so. I think he's just supposed to bring about the fall of man, and he's supposed to be like an agent of the devil. Okay. Because it's his, it's his child. But I don't think it's the same. Although maybe it is supposed to be similar. Like maybe it's supposed to be um, like his son. What is it a parallel with you know Jesus and Jesus's foil and God? Yeah, 
and then there's the devil to the antichrist because i mean it is the antichrist so maybe it's supposed to be like it is him but it's also his son but it's mostly him but you know what i mean yeah i'm not especially well read on this i feel like i used to be when i was younger and i went to a lot of bible study and stuff but all of the revelations stuff freaked me out because uh i have only just in the past few years really started to manage my very real anxiety of the world ending even if it's uh, just kind of somewhat f- fanciful stuff like the rapture and all that stuff was not my favorite thing to talk about when I was little, thanks to the Bible, Evangelion, just lots of things. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of world-ending, like, media, so it's hard to get away from. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so they're worried about the devil. The movie's supposed to be about the Antichrist. The actual movie is pretty good. It's about a U.S. ambassador who unknowingly adopts the Antichrist because his own wife, I can't remember if she miscarries or if their child is stillborn or something, and I guess to cover it up or make themselves feel better or whatever, they're like, well, here's this you know, child whose mother died in, in childbirth, so he needs a family, and they're like, okay, I guess we'll take him. By the time he turns five, shit starts to hit the fan. And they're like, uh-oh, I think something's wrong. People are dying. And it just all goes downhill from there. Yikes. <laughs> so the first misfortune to befall the casting crew was the death of lead actor Gregory Peck's oldest son, Jonathan. Um, he didn't leave a note, but it's believed that Jonathan died by suicide with a gun. And it happened in June of 1975, two months before filming was about to begin. Sad. Very sad. I think he, from what I read, it seemed like his, like, manager, whoever was like, oh, well, you know, maybe it would be good for you to, like, get involved, like, stay involved in the movie, don't drop out, like, stay busy. But then at the same time, it's a movie about a guy having to grapple with the fact that his son is the Antichrist and how he might have to kill him. And I'm just like, maybe this isn't the greatest idea. The content seems a little triggering just you know yeah that's that's hard how old was his son um i want to say he was in his 30s he was Mm. he was an adult son yeah that's sad so it was sad i don't know if it was if his family knew that he was experiencing mental illness but it seemed like in the aftermath that gregory peck had a lot of regrets about like being in france and working on some other movie or something instead of being back in the States with his son. So either way, it was definitely one of those things that's before all the other stuff happened, it would just be something where like, that's really, you know, that's sad. And, and I'm surprised that he, you know, continued with the movie, but you wouldn't really attribute it to like a curse or anything like that. Yeah. It's just a sad event. Mm -hmm. But then as they started, like, you know, getting to their locations and traveling and stuff like that stuff really started to go bad just over and over again. I kind of tried to group them up by the types of issues they were having. (laughs) So the first Mm -hmm. section I have after that is planes and lightning. You know, I love planes. I don't like them either. (laughs) So we're, you're in good company. All right. So started off with Gregory Peck's plane was struck by lightning en route to London, as was screenwriter David Seltzer's plane. 
Um, not long after that, executive producer Mace Newfeld's plane was also struck by lightning. Because the other two, it was struck by lightning, but I couldn't get a clear view of whether, like, it affected the plane or if it was just really scary. Because I think it's actually not that uncommon for planes to get struck by lightning. It just might not affect them. You know, obviously, if it strikes, like, the gas tank or something, you're going to be in big trouble. But if it just strikes the plane, it might just cause turbulence. But when Neufeld's plane got struck, he said that it was the roughest five minutes on a plane that he had ever experienced and was, like, traumatized by it. And then this one I couldn't find. Again, a lot of these I tried to find stuff to back it up because there was just so much of it. (laughs) Once they were in Rome filming a scene there, um, one of the producers, Harvey Bernard, was narrowly missed by lightning while in Rome. But everything I could find about that was anecdotal. So I don't know what narrowly missed means. Like, was it right in front of him? Did he see it? Did it spook him? I, I mean, I'm. if I had almost been struck by lightning, I think I would probably live the rest of my life being like, well, I can't go outdoors ever. I would tell everyone on Facebook. <laughs> First thing, gotta tell everyone on Facebook. You guys, guess what? Mm-hmm. So afterwards, there was a plan to hire a private plane for some aerial footage, and it was postponed so a group of business people could use the jet. And um, the plane hit some birds shortly after takeoff and crashed on the runway, running through the hedges and fence at the end and onto a road, killing a woman and five girls in a car, which is really, really awful. Mm -hmm. It was reported that the woman and two of the children were related to either the pilot or another pilot who was not flying. And um, Taylor couldn't confirm if the businessman died or not, even though it's widely reported that there were no survivors. This one took a little bit of work to try and find all the facts because between this one and another flight that apparently crashed from Israel, Mm -hmm. there were so many conflicting facts about how apparently it was rented by a group of Japanese or Chinese businessmen and how when it crashed, they all died and it hit the car and the first thing I read was like the car was just like the wife and daughter of the pilot who was flying. But then later on, I was like, when I read it, it said that no one on the plane had died, but the people in the car had died. And then later on, I read that the Japanese businessmen were on the flight that was supposed to fly out of Israel later on. So it just seemed like one of those things that was repeated over and over again and the facts were all kind of mixed up but through this one website uh called conspiro media that like found some old newspaper clippings and stuff from the area was at least able to confirm that the people in the car did die and that they were related in some way to either the pilot or someone who worked for that like charter company so Still not good, but one of those things that I think as it got told over and over again got twisted to be as tragic as it possibly could be. Well, that and I know that sometimes, because this was filmed in the 70s, right? Mm -hmm. Like 75. I feel like sometimes in the past, there would be like rumors that um, executives and, and like basically the studios would spread to make sensationalism surround the 
surround the movie release mm-hmm. or the filming or whatever to try and like hype up the movie. And because I mean, they used to do it with like feuds between you know, actresses and shit like that. So part of me wonders if, like, obviously some of this actually happened, but part of me wonders if some of it that's, like, less hard to prove Mm -hmm. or that's harder to prove might be, like, not untrue, but amped up, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, amped up and and it was just really hard to find corroborating evidence for some of them. So it was all just the same stories on, like, every website or article that I found about the curse of the omen and sometimes it would be word for word so it was pretty obvious that they had just grabbed it and like copied it although on this one a thing I found that said that they were Chinese businessmen and that this was during the cold war and that the plane hit a group of birds but that this little airport did have like cannons or whatever it is that they put on to scare off birds, but that they were turned off that day. And so they had this big conspiracy theory that, unrelated to the film, that this was actually a ploy to try and kill these businessmen because they were trying to buy weapons or something like that, which that went on a whole other tangent. And I was like, this is not what I'm here for, but this is also wild. What the hell? I know. But, again, I that one was harder to prove, but believe yeah but it, it just got so deep so fast jesus so and then the last one that's plane related was that gregory peck was supposed to fly to israel i think from somewhere in the u.s on a charter flight but he canceled his plane at the last minute and then they used that same aircraft as just a regular passenger flight and it crashed and killed everyone on board but i couldn't find anything about it i tried to find you know lists of plane crashes from 1975 like later in the year going from going to israel i couldn't confirm if he was flying from la or new york or or whatever but i feel like if a plane crashed and everyone died i mean maybe it was just more common in the 70s and so (laughs) nobody wrote about it but i couldn't confirm it anywhere the hell it was listed on a couple of of articles about stuff that happened during the filming but could not confirm creepy if true Mm -hmm. So, another category that we're moving on to is bombings, which is fucking horrifying. Mm-hmm. So, a hotel that Richard Donner was staying at while during production. He's the director. Um, a planned excursion by some cast and crew to a restaurant was canceled when the restaurant, Scott's, that's the name of the restaurant, was also bomb- bombed. Um, the Green Park subway station was blown up as some of the crew approached it, which is, that's... Like, this is getting to the point where it's like, this is too much. There's too many things happening. But I don't know if they were specifically being targeted. Oh, no. Probably not. It's just happen chance, I think. Happen chance? Is that what you said? Or happenstance. <laughs> I like happen chance. It makes more sense, but... <laughs> but yeah, but this was all, like, this was when there was a rash of bombings by the IRA happening in London. So... It's not strange that if they were filming in London that they, they would be by all of them. Um, I was able to look up and if it was the Hilton Hotel that they were staying at, um, that was bombed on September 5th in 1975. And that killed two people and injured 63. So not just them, a lot of people. Um, I couldn't find anything about the restaurant getting blown up, but I could find an article about the Green Park Stepway 
station. Um, and that was in October of 1975. Uh, there was a bomb attack just outside of the Green Park Underground Station. Left one man dead and injured 20 other. Um, and again, that was carried out by the provisional IRA's Balcom Street Gang. Dang, so I had no idea the IRA has been attacking, like, bombing London, essentially, or just bombing things since um, 1867. Mm-hmm. That's bananas. And then 1975, they hit, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. 17, like, separate bombings happened in 1975 by the IRA. Mm-hmm. And I do see it's Scott's Oyster Bar. Okay. Uh, one so, was yeah. killed, 15 were hurt. But that's completely separate from the movie. Like, it, it's yeah. wild that they were all here, but it's also if they're going, if they're using public transportation, if they're going out to eat, if they're staying at hotels, and that's kind of what they're focused on, they're not there for the omen. They're just, just there to get you. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what I was trying to say is basically like they've been bombing, you know, the London area for a long time, and they, they made like a lot of attacks in 1975, so it just happened to be bad luck for the cast and crew yeah they ain't special oh right let's see um we have some animal mishaps which at least in these i as far as i can tell no animals actually died just people so if that makes you feel better (laughs) i mean it doesn't because the animals probably put down afterwards no that's what they tend to do is once they kill a person, they tend to put them down. Mm. It's like it's sad all around. It's sad for the person. It's sad for the animal. It's sad because, honestly, we shouldn't be training wild animals to perform stunts. It's just a bad time all around. Mm-hmm. Well, this one, it was a, a worker named Sidney Bamford at an animal sanctuary where they filmed the baboon scene was killed by either a lion or a tiger. Again, once you started actually looking into it through a lot of help from this website, Conspiro Media, there's just a lot of conflicting details from what I heard, but it was either a lion or a tiger. Um, it happened after they had actually already shot the scene, so I don't think any of the crew for the film were present, but they heard about it afterwards and it kind of freaked them out. There was a death record for someone named Sidney Bamford, aged 22 to 23, who died in 1975, but they were killed by a tiger. So... If they're sticking to their story that it was a lion who killed somebody, then it's not the same. But that was the only death that I could find at the sanctuary. So it has to be the same one. Because they said it was a young guy. And they said that he, like, left a gate open or something and got attacked. There was two different reports. I saw one that said that the person peeked their head up out of something, I guess, to check. And the lion just straight up, like, bit him on the head and... He died from, like, trauma to his skull. And then another one said that he got mauled. Like, he got attacked, like, jumped on. So, I mean, I I get that, you know, they probably don't want to make a a huge deal out of it and get a lot of, like, bad press and the family probably doesn't want it, like, sensationalized. But I was surprised it was so hard just to find out what happened. Just some basic information. Mm Mm-hmm. Basic facts. Yeah. I, I also feel like they kind of implied that they had filmed a scene with the lines that didn't get used, and they just ended up going with the baboon scene, but I couldn't mm-hmm. confirm that either. So the other mishap is during the graveyard scene, uh, the stuntman that's, that was standing in for Peck was attacked by Rottweilers, 
And apparently the Rottweilers were able to bite through the protective gear that he was wearing, which sounds not fun. I'm assuming he got hurt but didn't die or anything. Yeah, he he didn't die, but it was one of those things where they were like, I don't know why they're acting out this way. And we took all the precautions. He's wearing all the padding. He's, you know, doing whatever. But they just would not be called off and and bit right through it. God. Mm Mm-hmm. Ouch, Papa. All right. And then this one, there's a, a good chunk was uh, they had a lot of issues with car accidents, which driving cars is dangerous. More dangerous than a plane, but you can't tell me that. I'll still drive, but I won't fly. Um, On the very first day of the shoot, several principal members of the crew survived a head-on car crash. Richard Donner, who again was the director, was also hit by a car during production. He was being led out of his own car when a passing vehicle hit the door and kind of like pinned him between the door and the car. And he said that he was lucky that his leg wasn't sheared off. Jesus. So maybe it wasn't so bad. Maybe it was just really scary, but it just kind of like nudged him. You know how cars do. They just nudge. <laughs> um, see, later on, the actor who plays the taxi driver uh, who takes Robert Thorne, who's the main ambassador guy played by Gregory Peck, um, when he's taken him around Il- Italy, Peck accidentally slammed the car door on the taxi driver's hand, nearly taking off <sighs> his finger. And... Apparently, when you watch it, if you look, he still has, like, a huge bandage that's visible in the final cut of the film. Yikes. Ouch, Bubba. Yikes, yikes, yikes. Mm -hmm. So, the capstone to the curse was the car crash involving Liz Moore and John Richardson. Um, The latter had designed the special effects for the Omen, many of them, which were very gruesome. So, on August 13th, 1976, he was in the Netherlands a few months later working on a bridge too far when his car was in a head-on crash. He was injured, but Lismore was cut in half by a car wheel in a way that was eerily similar to the decapitation scene that Richardson had executed in The Omen. Uh, Richardson claimed that he awoke to see a road sign in his view showing the distance to the next town down the road. It happened to be the Dutch town of Omen, O-M-M-E-N. And the distance was 66.6 kilometers, which is 41.3 miles. Uh, There are no signs, no road signs in the Netherlands giving distances in fractions of kilometers. Only kilometer markers use fractions. And so a local newspaper named uh, Distentor did some research into this matter and contacted a former police officer from the area. And according to the police officer, the accident indeed took place near uh, Ralt, R-A-A-L-T-E, on the N348 between Ralt and Deventer, uh, but not on the location where the 66.6 kilometer marker currently is. So, based on the current location of the marker and the details given by the police officer, another possible scenario is that Richardson was brought to a hospital in Zwolle and crossed the junction of the N348 with the N35. There, he may have noticed the kilometer marker 6. 66.6, and immediately after that, a road sign stating the direction towards Omen. Um, this may have freaked him out to the point that it became part of the legend of the curse. Mm-hmm. Which, like, one, that's horrifying that she was cut in half. That's, my greatest fear is, like, being decapitated in a car. I mean, I guess you have to hope that it was over really fast, but still, like, horrifying. Well, and of course, when I was looking it up, to make it seem the most like the scene because in the movie there's a photographer guy who is decapitated when like a sheet of glass falls off the back of a truck and when i was 
reading about this, I kept reading that she had been decapitated by, like, the windshield or something like that. And they were like, it was exactly like blah, blah, blah. But then as you looked it up more, it was like, well, I mean, not much better. She was cut in half. She wasn't decapitated. And it was by a tire wheel from, like, the other vehicle. So it's not exactly like it. It's just a really gruesome thing. And it sucked because on another note, a lot of the stuff that I read about it kept saying that it was, like, his girlfriend or his wife or his assistant or whatever. And from what I could tell, I think she was an associate. I don't know whether they were romantically involved but, I mean, she worked on the movie. She helped design a lot of stuff for, like, Star Wars and stuff. Like, she was a very talented, like, sculptor and all that. Mm-hmm. But all everyone wants to talk about is John Richardson and his dang decapitation scene. So, for what it's worth, Liz Moore, very talented, very sad. Not just his girlfriend or whatever writing with him. Yeah, unfair to to basically just sum her up to, like, her relationship to a man. Never mind, like, all the things she did mm-hmm. on her own that didn't have anything to do with him. You like your Stormtrooper masks? Well, that's Liz Moore. Yep. But that was that big one. <laughs> yep, that's a big one. And it kind of pisses me off that he was, like... Like, I know that sometimes when you experience trauma, you, like... The, like, specifics kind of change a little because as you tell yourself a story over and over and over, like, it changes because your memory, literally, your the way you remember things is by telling yourself that story over and over. So mm-hmm. I get that. But also it feels very sensationalist and sort of, like, shitty, especially when someone literally died, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, unless, like, if he if he truly believed that he was cursed or something and he saw that and was like, I never should have made that movie... But just the whole 666 thing, I don't know. One thing I, I didn't put on here that I, because I didn't think it was really worth it, was people being like, and what happened to the guy that played Damien? He, like, never acted in anything again. And I was like, maybe he just didn't want to be an act, like, he was a child. Maybe he was like, this isn't fun. I don't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And he also, I think, had a cameo in, like, the new one that came out in 2006. So it is what you make of it. If you want it to be scary and cursed and weird, then it will be. Yep. So that's The Curse of the Omen, which honestly, I thought it was going to be more like on set stuff, but it seems like it was just sort of random scary shit that happened surrounding it. Yeah, I mean, the only one that was a real big on set thing was the what's his face getting his finger slammed in a door, the Rottweilers. The baboon scene was apparently really scary to film, but not necessarily, like, cursed. Right. They were just like, oh, I know what we can do to make her really scared. We'll tie meat to the car and not feed the baboons for a day before. So when they drive through on the safari tour or whatever, they're going to actually attack the car. Those poor baboons. Like The people in the car didn't know. Yeah, that's scary, too. Or at least, like, the actress. And so they were like, those screams are real. And I'm like, you... Sick motherfucker. (laughs) I feel like that's part of the other thing is I feel like there were so many things that happened on the sets of, like, scary movies in the 70s. And I think part of it is because, one, they didn't have the safety implements in place that they have now. Two, misogyny. Three, (laughs) people were dumb and... 
assholes and basically would take advantage of people and do shit like that where it's like i'm not gonna tell them this this really important thing that's gonna scare the shit out of them or whatever so i yeah, just like in the poltergeist mm. when they had the real skeletons in the swimming pool scene but they didn't tell her they were real yeah like that like that I'm just saying, like, I think the rules were different back then, and it allowed them to get away with a lot more, and so I think that's why there's a lot more accidents and a lot more, like, shitty, just shittiness. Mm-hmm. Maybe it should have been cursed. Maybe they deserved it. I hate you, the omen. <laughs> I just, I just hate men from the 70s, that's all. <laughs> uh, it's fine. You can just stay back there. Stay there. But, yep, that's the omen, and the curse of the omen. Maybe I'll rewatch it. Maybe I won't. I want to look for that guy whose finger almost got cut off. Mm, poor guy. I know. It's like watching Rumble in the Bronx and you realize that, like, for half the movie, Jackie Chan's sneaker is actually, like, a cast and he just has, like, a, a weird rubber sneaker that's pulled on over it because he busted his leg. And you're just like, man, you got a big, weird, fat leg. I had no idea that he had a cast on in Rumble in the Bronx. That's That sucks. At some point in the movie, his bottom part of his leg goes from normal leg to really fat leg real fat sturdy leg i feel so bad when they like push through that stuff because i'm just like i feel like you're just gonna hurt your body more oh jackie just gonna hurt it more just rest please rest no rest gotta rumble <sighs> gotta rumble in these bronx so what's your thing for this week I haven't finished it. I'm still getting caught up, so hopefully it, it stays good and nothing bad happens, but I can't stop listening to the podcast Neo Scum. It's like a Shadowrun actual play podcast, and they cut out a lot of like the dice rolls and the rules stuff, which I know isn't everybody's jam. They mainly just focus on like the characters and stories, which I personally love, and they're just they're bad babies, but I can tell they've got, like, these tragic backstories, and I just cannot wait for them to just pour them over me like thick queso. Just coat me in your tragic backstories. Mm, that's a fetish. <laughs> but it's, I think it's funny. It's definitely, there are parts where, like, you know, you go from listening to something like The Adventure Zone, which, you know, I feel like on the whole, is is pretty wholesome. I mean, there's, like, some swearing and stuff, but it's, like, it can be very sweet to this one where it's, like, you know, like, a, a trucker and a wizard mage guy and an elf lady, and and they're just killing so many people who also want to kill them, but it's all, you know, instead of, like, you slice this jelly in half, it's, like, you shoot so-and-so in the face, and it just explodes like a rotten melon, and I'm, like, oh, God. But the rest of it's really funny. But it is a little more rough and tumble than some actual plays that I've listened to. That's really cool. I really want to listen to it. I just haven't had the... Time? <laughs> time? <laughs> well, I've been reading a lot of books and stuff and mm -hmm. listening to a lot of books. And so, like, I have my one or two podcasts that I listen to weekly. But the idea of, like, catching up with something that's already started... Sounds, like, fun, but also, like, a lot to take on. Yeah, well, it can be kind of daunting. I remember when I first started, I was like, oh, what am I doing? But it was it was pretty easy, and, you know, once I've got a long drive to work, so I could knock out one or two a day while I was driving, and before I knew it, I'm maybe about halfway through. I want to say they're on, like, episode 30 or something now, so it's not too, too deep, but... Oh, well, that's good. It's funny. I like it. it. It might not be for everybody. Like I said, they can be a little rambunctious 
So if that's not your jam, I will totally understand. But I also just, I love their, their improv and they do a lot of like voices and sometimes it's just really outrageous and that's what makes me laugh. And I just want somebody else to, to listen so that way I won't sound like a crazy person when I keep trying to imitate the peepees. It takes place in like a weird, like not totally cyberpunk, but it's in Shadowrun. And so there's like this mix of like technology and magic and stuff. And there's like, you can hop into the internet or do whatever. They also just went to uh, Gen Con. Is it Gen Con or Gen Con? I think it's just Gen Con. Yeah, there was just Gen Con. And I guess they did their first live show and they dressed up and they were so precious. I'm so excited. Baby angel. That's my, my recommendation. It's a... Shadowrun actual play podcast called Neo's Gum, and it's it's pretty good. If you hate it, don't hate me. Cool. Good good rec. <laughs> what about you? Um, have you had a chance to play any of the Heaven Will Be Mine? No, I actually was going to play that after I got off here, pretty much. Hmm. So, it's kind of a dating sim. Woman, woman, dating sim. It is a Queer science fiction visual novel from the creators of the queer cult horror visual novel We Know the Devil, which I played and I enjoyed, about joyriding mecha, kissing your enemies, and fighting for a new future. A send-up of 1980s giant robot anime and 70s queer science fiction, Heaven Will Be Mine puts players in the cockpits of three women fighting on opposite sides of an interstellar war to decide who they'll get... who they'll get to furiously make out with. Who they'll get to fuck. (laughs) With the very fate of humanity in space. You were thinking it. Love it. There's three different endings. It sounds really cool. I'm excited to see what you think of it. I haven't bought it yet because I have such a big backlog, but I'm excited about it. It looked cool. The art is so fucking cute. So that's what I'm like mostly excited about is just I love a game with good art. Like the worst thing ever is playing a visual novel and sometimes the art is just not good. You're just like, mm. mm-hmm. you tried. <laughs> You tried so hard. That can be very tough. You're like, I want to soldier through, but these faces, where are your eyes? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Not good. Not good, my friend. So anyways, that's my, I guess, recommendation. Either that or... Give us an update. Do you have an OC? You got an original character? You should make a Spotify playlist or an 8-tracks. Make one. Put it on the internet. Send it to me. I'll listen to it. <laughs> Tell me all about them. I don't give a shit. I will listen to it because I love it. I love it. I love it. Becca's very enthusiastic about this sort of thing. She will make you... It's infectious. I have made so many more playlists for fictional characters from video games and mainly video games. Also RPGs. (laughs) Because of Becca's influence. But here's the thing. I will support you the whole way. Mm -hmm. I'll be like, this is so good. You made so many good decisions. She won't start you off and then leave you there. She'll be like, I like this song from your playlist. I'm listening to it right now. Yes. If you need that kind of support in your life, hit me up. Well. That'll do it. Yeah, that's going to do it for us. Um, Let's see. If you like what you hear, you can listen to us over on iTunes. We're also on Google Play. We're hosted on Podbean, so you can use their little podcatcher. Um, leave us a review. We love a good, tasty five-star review. If you mm-hmm. like what you're hearing. Mm, yeah, so hungry. Maybe that's what I need. I don't need food. I need five-star reviews. Don't let me die. Don't let me die. I'm so hungry. <laughs> uh, if you got questions or comments, we love to hear from people. You can send it to us over at ghostemojipodcast at gmail.com. Um, also, we're on Twitter. 
you want to follow us there. We post like articles, GIFs, scheduling updates, just whatever. And that one is Ghost Emoji Show. Give us a follow. We love Twitter. I'm on it all the time. It's a sickness. Yep. Yep. I used to hate it. And then I realized all the things that could be fun on it. And I was like, this is great. I'll never leave. I love talking out of my ass. <laughs> and I can only have like 200 characters or whatever. Is that why it's called shitposting? Because you're talking yep. out of your ass? Yep. Just talking out my ass. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thank you for listening. And until next time, always remember to say goodbye. 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 Goodbye.